Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Howdy doody, boys and girls. You know where you are. This is Tyler Schaff, and I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And this week, I want to talk about another big reason that people fail. And you're probably thinking, what the heck is he talking about now? Well, in part, I'm talking about a couple different things, but the primary focus of what I want to talk about here, and we'll get to that after I, I get going in this episode, is your inability to focus on one thing or, or you're getting shiny object or buying everything that's for sale, how that gets you in trouble and keeps you from achieving financial freedom. So, but I want to start out with the few folks that are chasing deals. And I'm seeing a lot of that right now. People feel that while well, the market's about to crash, the market's going to crash. There's that person that's sitting on the sidelines doing nothing in hopes that the market crashes so that they can then scoop up all these supposed quote unquote great deals. Well, I got news for you, and I've said this before, but I want to say it again. You cannot effectively time the market. It's not possible. The reason for that is whatever you think the market the bottom of the market is, you don't know that. The only way you know a market has bottomed out is when it begins in recovery. So let's say that a house right now is selling for, I don't know, $150,000. And let's say in a few weeks, the prices drop because it hasn't sold and the prices now drop to, let's say, 120. You may interpret that as a market shift, or maybe you're watching your Facebook post because we know that all kinds of great expertise comes from Facebook feeds. I'm telling you, you can cure cancer, you can survive a heart attack, Hell, you can create, you overcome the coronavirus if need be. You can do amazing things. You can also learn in 10 minutes or less, if you give me your email address, how to get rich in five minutes or less. Yeah, totally doable, right? No. Not totally doable. A lot of times folks right now are, and they've been doing this now for about a year, is they're feeling the fear of loss, fear of missing out, FOMO. When To one degree, they're thinking, well, if I'm going to get a bank loan, I better get it now because interest rates will never get lower. And what happens next month? Interest rates get lower. Now they definitely feel the pinch. I got to go get something now, put my money to work. So they run out to the bank and the banks are looking at you going, who are you? You don't have any track record. You have okay credit, but you don't have any track record. So, Or you have too much debt or you don't have enough debt, therefore your credit score isn't high enough or whatever other reason they can come up with to not loan you money. Remember, banks only loan money to people that do not need it. Those that do need borrow money are looked at as a potential liability. You're considered higher risk. And I'll say this is 100%. So the next question you probably ask yourself is, what do you do? Well, I'm here to tell you that those that stick with a winning strategy win and those that don't, won't. Well, what does that mean, Tyler? Break that down for me. What is the winning strategy? Well, the winning strategy begins and ends with learning how to raise private capital and learning how to complete seller finance deals. That said, for seller financing to work and be profitable for you, you, the stars need to be lined up, which means that whatever you agree to needs to, number one, solve the seller's problem, also needs to solve your problem at the same time. Don't go doing deals that have a balloon payment, for example, in five years and, the, and you're agreeing to a 10% interest loan. That is a terrible deal, okay? Because in most cases, a cash flow property, unless you get it for a song, will never cash flow with 10% interest unless you bought the property really cheap. And what I mean by cheap, let's say it's going to bring in $750 a month. Well, if you do the deal at $750 a month and you buy the property for ten grand and finance it, deal unless the interest rate's crazy will easily cash flow. But let's look at 10% interest. If you start doing your math at 10% interest, it's going to create a certain amount of debt service. The more you pay for the property, the more debt is going to be involved. For whatever reason, sellers feel that they're entitled to get about 10 times what banks will loan money at. And I know I'm reaching a little bit there. Maybe it's five times more than what a private or a I'm sorry, an institutional loan will give. You go to the bank, you walk in there, you can get these days 4%. Maybe by the time you hear this, if you're hearing this you know, a year from now, we're talking, this is currently July 28th, 2020, rates are pretty low. They're between four and five, depending on what bank and your credit and all that. But 
But understand that that's going to fluctuate. There was a time back in the 70s and 80s where the interest rates were 20%. So if you could get 10% seller financing, well, two thumbs up and go get it. The difference between then and now is that today when you pay 10% interest and you overpay for the property, well, what you wind up with is a liability on your balance sheet. That asset you're buying is that what you call an asset is not an asset. It's a liability because you are going to be bleeding money. And if the seller tells you it'll rent for two grand a month, I want to see some proof because I don't believe you. I think you're feeding me a line of poo-poo like we talked about in the last show. Know this, 100% of the truly financially free, free people that I know got there by using the resources of others to help them to the finish line. And I'm included in there. I never would have gotten financially free if I did not learn how to leverage that which other folks have that I need. And in doing so, I'm able to provide for them as well. Each deal is different. There's no you know one size fits all. And I'm not saying you need to pay, pay people 20% interest and other people, you're not going to be able to do all your deals at 2% either. The difference is here, first of all, the banks are never going to allow you to get financially free because you got to understand banks are in the business of making money when you buy. And that's what I talk about institutional lending. It's a very expensive on the origi origination side. Banks make money by when they loan you money by the origination fees and points. That's how they get paid. That's where their profit is. There's no bank in the land that will actually hold your mortgage for 30 days, 30 years rather without selling it. Generally speaking, a bank funds your note, writes your note, and then a few, within a few weeks of the closing, it is sold off on the secondary market to another investor. Could even be a private investor. Could be Wall Street, mortgage-backed security, package with other loans, whatever. Yours could be in that pile. But the banks aren't going to hold on to it, so they're never going to achieve the interest profit that's built into that deal if they charge you four or five percent interest. Well, you figure that over one year, it's not a whole lot of money. And even in 30, in 30 years, it's a it could turn out to be a ton, a ton of money, but the banks can't hold on to the paper that long because servicing a loan is expensive, time-consuming, and very risky. Though, so they're willing to make risky loan, riskier loans in some cases because they're not the ones going to be there holding the bag when you stop paying. It'll probably be somebody like me who bought the loan because everything was going hunky-dory, and then for whatever reason, you decide to stop paying your bills. Or coronavirus happens, and you start getting these forbearances, and, or the ability, the government's telling you that you don't have to pay your bills anymore. And you see this on your news stations, on your Fox and your CNNs and all that good stuff, and you decide, well, you're a victim because they hashtag coronavirus, you're now a victim and you should get some sort of special dispensation because of that. Now, I'm not trying to say that forbearance is always a bad thing. I believe to some degree there are people out there that need it. As an investor, it's your responsibility to do a conservative deal. In other words, leave some fat on the bone so that in case things like coronavirus pops up, you're still in good shape. But what do I mean by that? Well, if a property is going to rent for, that's why I use the one and a half or 2% rule in the beginning, I want to see my debt coverage ratio to be two to one before I'll do a deal. And a lot of you guys, you bigger pockets guys are going, but so-and-so said, that's crazy. You can do a debt service ratio of, of 1.25 because that's what the banks allow for. Yeah, that's what the banks allow for because they're holding your, your loan for about a month and then they're flipping it over to some investment banker to take it from there. So they don't give two pahooies whether you pay your bills or not. So yeah, they can do it a cheap interest rate because they're making their money on the front end. Now the hard money guy, he doesn't get the opportunity to make his money on the hard end, on the on the front end. He has, has to make his money during the loan also. Now granted, he's only going to keep that loan in place for my maybe a year or less. So if you do a flip and you have it, your act together, you know what you're doing, it may take six months to do a flip. People are like, nah, I can do it in 90 days. No, you can't. Because <laughs> eventually something's going to get in your way, a termite damage, whatever, which means you're going to you're going to have that money out in the street a little longer than what you planned. Well, if you're the hard money lender, you know that you're probably going to get probably a 12-month loan and you're going to get paid off in 12 months. So the hard money lender has to make a lot of interest off of you and they have to pad the deal, which means points. So what, maybe two, three points on the front, depending on the risk factor, maybe two, three points on the back. And what that means is those are percentage points that you pay when you take the money out or it can be satisfied when you sell the property. So you may see 12% interest, two points on the front and three points on the back or something like that. That's a way for the hard money lender to make the yield that they need to make in order to be able to fund the deal because let's be honest 
they don't have any incentive to do the deal if they can't make a buck. That's why they lend money out in the first place. They got to be able to make a profit. I've never met anyone who escaped the rat race by putting 100% of their own money in to, to do the deal. The same applies to those who are using banks to fund their purchases. If you don't learn how to raise private money, you will likely never escape the rat race. And I'm not talking about begging people for money, doing hard money loans. I don't consider hard money loans as private money. I'm talking about the guy or girl that's got some money socked away for retirement. They're not getting anywhere near the yield that their broker says they are or shows them because there's always some fine print at the bottom. Oh, look, you're getting an 8% return on your money minus this, my broker fee, my this, my that, whatever, taxes, servicing, and you're actually making like 2% on your money. So it's reasonable to go to somebody that has an IRA and have a conversation with them. Use what I taught you guys, those of you that pull the trigger, in the Private Money Crash Course. By the way, if you haven't got that and you're interested in that, you go to privatemoneycrashcourse.com. It's very simple. It'll take you a couple hours to go through for a very nominal price. So you really can't say you can't afford it. If you can't afford the price of this course, then you need to get out of the real estate space because you're just too broke. You go over there, you take the Private Money Crash Course. I walk you through step-by-step step exactly how to pitch a deal to a potential investor, how to overcome any objections, how to not have to ask for money, and in some cases, beg for money and not sell your soul to the devil at the same time. So you don't have to be one of those idiots that's over on Facebook trying to raise money and do flips. Eventually, SEC and other regulatory agencies are going to get tired of your dumbass and somebody's going to make a random complaint. Some, what do they call them uh, these days? Not Nancy, but uh, Karen is going to get pissy. Some realtor who doesn't have anything better to do because they're not selling any houses is jealous that you get to get these great deals and flip houses. Karen's going to call up and report your ass and then you're going to be in the in the defense seat. You don't want to be there. Not to mention hard money, they're going to, they should be scrutinizing you pretty heavily. They're going to want to appraisal and all this other stuff as our banks. Okay. Many, many, many people think that raising private money is difficult or for them, maybe even impossible. Therefore, because they won't learn how they lean towards taking out either the hard money loans or because they don't qualify for, I shouldn't say, or, but they'll take out hard money loans because they don't qualify for bank financing. And if they do qualify for bank financing, they'll go out and negotiate themselves an absolute terrible deal a lot of times because the money's burning a hole in their pocket. Fear of loss kicks in. And it's like, well, I got approved for 200,000. So I'm going to go spend 199. That's going to make you feel like you can buy a duplex for 200 grand that doesn't produce but 1500 a month. And I don't care how low your interest rate is, guys, that dog doesn't hunt. It's not going to cash flow. So learn how to raise private money. And I know you're probably thinking, well, is this a commercial for privatemoneycrashcourse.com? It's absolutely not. What it is, is motivation to get you off the duff to stay in your lane. And that's the core of this episode is to stay in your lane. If you're out there, you flip a house, then you're looking at mobile home parks, then you're looking at buying, I don't know, uh, bridges over water and RV parks, and you're all over the map. Nobody's going to take you seriously. You're going to kind of look like a, a bit of a schlep. But what it tells me when you're doing that all, all the time is that you're not certain on any one thing, that you're a master of everything, of mass, jack of all trades and master of none. Well, folks don't like to invest in people that are jacks of all trades. They want to invest with people that are masters of one. So if you think that you're going to go out there and be all wishy-washy and keep changing your tune and chasing after deals. And from one minute you're doing a mobile home, the next minute you're a mobile home park, and now you want to do an RV park and you want to flip cars on the side and you want to buy gold and you're going to get rich off of that. People are going to get sick of that. They're going to roll their eyes and they're going to leave you alone, they're, which is the worst thing you want is to be obscure. You won't matter because you're just some flake that's running all over town. will do any deal they can, like they're chasing deals, like they're chasing crack rocks, quote unquote deals. And by the way, guys, no such thing as an advertised deal. So if it's advertised, it's not for you. You need to be get direct to sellers. You need to find opportunities opportunity that's not out there being advertised. Here's why. There are lots of people that are a hell of a lot dumber than the rest of us that are willing to buy anything because they did go to the bank and got that $200,000 uh, line of credit. So their money's burning a hole in their pocket. They're working off of a dopamine hit. It's like buying on Amazon on steroids. Know this, when a private money financial friend thinks about doing business with you, they're first going to focus more on how you intend to pay them instead of 
how much you will pay them. What do I mean by that? If you come to me and say, Tyler, I got this great deal and I'll pay you 18%, may you make me highly skeptical right out of the gate because I know, because I know what the hell I'm doing, that making an 18% return on a deal when you don't have much experience is unlikely. And then you're basically telling me as your private money financial friend that I'm going to make 18%. I don't believe that you can make 18% gross before paying me. So now I think you're kind of full of crap. Now I'm going to more hev- heavily scrutinize the deal, support, supposedly, and look for reasons why you go wrong, or I'm just going to get irritated and walk away from you because you're selling snake oil. You don't want to be in that position. You don't want Tyler, your financial friend, to be thinking of you that way. I don't want people out there wasting my time. So when people blindly send me these deals, I get these all the time in the email. Tyler, hey, you want to fund this? I think a lot of that comes from cash flow guy. Cash flow guys, they see that name and they're like, well, this guy's got money to lend. Sure, I'll lend you my money. I want a first position lean on your private residence. Oh, you don't own a private residence. Do you have any other assets? No? Huh. But you want me to give you my money so that I can find uh, finance this crappy mobile home that you're trying to flip for a hundred grand that you bought for fifty. I'm gonna look at you like you're nuts because you haven't proven to me the how. How are you going to pay me back? This deal certainly isn't going to pay me back. I know that. So why the hell would I invest in this deal based on what you say? Because last week you were pitching me in a mobile home park, or you were pitching me a parking lot, or some fifty million dollar high rise that you tell me all about if I just gave you a proof of funds letter. By the way, guys, if you're one of those wholesalers that's out there trying to pitch these huge multifamily deals and you know you got a gmail address and you want a proof of funds letter before you share any of the details you know what that tells it the experienced people that you don't really have the deal under contract or you're not under contract with the right one and you clearly have no clue how business is done in the big boy world because that's not how things are done. There's no nobody on the planet, including Kiyosaki and Ken McElroy and all that, they don't keep a proof of funds letter laying around that they can impress some wholesaler with because at 100% of the time, they're raising money to do the deal and they have to first have something to raise money for before they can complete the financial part of the transaction. In other words, people aren't going to give you private money on a wing and a prayer, especially when talking about big money. You're going to have to have something at some point structured and put together and know this. People think, well, I'm going to buy this thing for 50 grand, so I need to raise 50 grand. Well, you haven't rehabbed it yet and you haven't done the closing and sold it and then pay all the expenses. So you really need to get the deal figured out and negotiated. And when you're always raising capital, what I mean by that is always be closing on concept. Hey, I do deals similar to this. And you give them an example of a deal. I cover all this in the private money crash course, by the way, but you put together an example deal based on something that has actually happened. That doesn't necessarily have to be you. You could use a previous deal I've talked about on the show. You could use a deal you saw on the internet that you followed and you can show that it's closed. So you can share the numbers. This is where networking is so powerful guys. It's getting out there, talking to other people that have done what you want to do, learning about their deals. And then you tell them, Hey, this is a type of deal I'm looking to do. If you want to join me by giving them some examples, the people are going to feel more and more on board with knowing that you got your act together. But if you're all over the map, if you're inconsistent, if you're a big fat flake, then nobody's going to take you seriously and you'll be wasting your breath because nobody's going to invest in you. Don't fall for the hype of, and God forbid, don't ever tell your private money part of this. They only wanted to sell the property to me. They only want to sell it to somebody they like and they like me and they said they're going to hold it for me. Really? But it's still listed with a broker. So the broker's okay with this. They're listing the property under the hopes that you will show up. Timmy Tulips only. Is it in the listing agreement that Timmy Tulips gets to buy this? Is the agent only marketing to you? Did they put it on Facebook but block all the other audiences out just to show that Timmy Tulips gets to see it? No, it's preposterous. Is there an ad in the paper going, hey, if you're Timmy Tulips, I got a deal just waiting for you to make a decision because we don't want to sell it to anybody but Timmy Tulips. That's that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Don't get suckered into that. It's ridiculous. Remember, if you are not consistent in your investor identity, people will see you as a hot mess and therefore be inclined not to deal with you. Okay? They will not want to deal with you because you're all over the map. So get defined in what you're going to do. If you're not consistent in your investor identity, people will see you as a hot mess and therefore be less inclined to deal with you, which means you're going to have to work harder to get the deal done because nobody believes your bullshit. So don't bullshit them. Put together some deals that have been done in the past by people on your team or for other friends 
or other investors. And all you have to say, which is absolutely true, is that these are the type of deals that I'm setting out to do. And you lay it out for them. Why is this? Do you feel this is a good deal? This is, this is what you're explaining to them. I feel this is a good deal because, insert your answer here. When we see a wishy-washy person, we tend to distance themselves from that person because they're not consistent and they're a colossal waste of our time. So in summary, wrapping this up, I need you guys to go out there and make sure that you are consistent in the message you put out there, that your your investor identity is clear and makes sense. Because I'm living proof that if you can get centered, and I was this guy that was very uncentered in the beginning, when you get centered on a strategy on a certain type of investment opportunity and you run for, through it and you're consistent in what you're doing, you run through all the scenarios, you run through everything, and you're able to pitch your deal with complete confidence, you will raise a hell of a lot more capital and you will get to financial freedom a lot faster. So guys, I'm going to wrap it up this week. I hope you have a great week. I will catch up with you next week. And as always, uh, you want to join our Facebook group, cashflowguys.com forward slash group. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.